0: Hey, and thanks for joining us for Parkview Online. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here. Over the next hour or so, our goal is to help you take a next step toward God. Wherever you happen to be on your faith journey, we believe that you have a step to take, and we wanna help you discover what that is. In just a moment, we're gonna join our broadcast campus where the band will lead us in some music and we'll hear a message based on the Bible that we can all apply to our lives. During the service, you're probably going to end up hearing a reference to the Next Steps area in a lobby or something specific to an experience that's happening at one of our physical campuses. But what we want you to know is that you can take very similar Next Steps online. And if there's ever a time when you want to learn more about how to do that, just shoot me an email at online at parkviewchurch.com. We'd love to help you figure out which next step is the right one for you. There are a couple of other quick things that we want you to know. First, if you're watching with a group of people and we can help you in any way, we'd love to. That means different things for different groups, but we'd love to have the conversation with you. And then second, if you're watching and you'd like to get connected to some people in your area, or you'd like some information about connecting to one of our physical campuses in the Chicagoland area, again, just reach out via email. The address is online at parkviewchurch.com. Ultimately, today, we want our time together to encourage you. We want you to get some practical insight from the Bible, and we want to help you take your next step with God and with other people. We're really glad you're here. Enjoy the service.
1: What's up, Parkview? Go ahead and stand up to your feet. We're going to worship together. And it's our
2: chance to remind ourselves of how good God is, but also declare to together our choice to surrender
1: to Him and follow Him. So let's sing this together. Let's go have my yes, with no exception, laying down my right to second guessing, you can have my yes, giving you my fear of never knowing, whatever's coming next, I know you've got me, you can have my yes. You're the lamp, you're the light, you're the cloud that guides me. You're the way, you're the truth. I'll answer when you ask. To come against if you You are are for me. me. Even in the fire.
2: you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of everything and the redeemer of every soul. It is so easy to feel small and insignificant and inadequate. God, our failures bubble up to the surface and we realize how unworthy we are of you. But God, at the same time, It's also so easy to feel important because you left heaven, you left the throne to be here with us and one of us and be here for us. For me, for one that didn't deserve you at all, who had abandoned you, who had gone his own way, God, you redeemed me. You redeemed each of us because you love us that much. And so it's also easy to feel important because you have made us worthy and important and good and rescued and holy. And so God, help us remember that this morning as we worship you. Let us not just remember how good you are, but that you have made us yours, claimed us as your own. And there's nothing we can do to change that. Help that sink down deep into our hearts this morning. And Jesus, we pray in your good and your beautiful and your powerful name. And everybody said, amen. You can have a seat.
3: What's going on, guys? And welcome to Parkview. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors around here. Welcome online, on the patio, if you're brave in the rain. Good for you. We are glad to have you here as well. Uh, If you're trying to figure this whole Parkview thing out and you don't know where to go quite yet, the best spot for you to go is to parkviewchurch.com slash week It's a webpage we've got that shows everything going on around Parkview week to week. It's just the best way for you to stay in tune with us. But a couple of those things to highlight for you, one of which hopefully you grabbed when you came in, is this piece of paper called In It Together. It's a chance for you to jump with one of of our serving teams and actually get an all-access pass of what goes on around behind the scenes here at the weekend at Parkview. A chance for you to jump in with one of our serving teams, build some community, find some purpose, have some conversation, and we'd love for you to join us in that. So if you wanna fill that out and drop it at any of the bins at the high tops on your way out, you could do that. Another chance to get plugged in is for you students. So if you're in sixth grade through high school, this is for you guys. We've got an event coming up, a fall conference called Burn the Ships. It's the shirt that I'm wearing. I'm not just super into pirates or something. It's called Burn the Ships. And it's a chance for you to jump in for you students to hang out, get to know some other students, hear more about Jesus, and have some conversations. It's going to be happening at the new Lenox campus each night starting this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, the 7th through the 9th, and we'd love for you to hang out with us. Pastor Nick is going to be out in the lobby. He'd love to answer any questions you have. Now, the only reason we're going to have events like that, resources like that, is because this is a very generous church that is filled with generous people that are on mission with us here at Parkview. And if you'd like to be part of that generosity, if you'd like to give, the best spot for you to go is right out the doors, There's some giving boxes, or right online at that parkviewchurch.com slash this week link. There's a spot for you to give as well. Now, one of the ways your generosity allows us to do the work of Jesus here in the community is with a brand new program we're getting ready to start up called Alpha. In the seatbacks in front of you, you've got these cards. Uh, There's some information about Alpha on those cards. And if you don't know what it is, it's actually a program that we're getting ready to start in a bar just down the street. You heard me right. Uh, If you uh, are not like me, maybe you don't know this, but some of my best conversations happen over a beer. If that bothers you, email Tim later this week. But uh, some of those best conversations happen. And we believe that there's a chance for you to maybe come, have some free food, have some conversation, get to know Jesus a little bit. And if you've been around the church for a long time, or maybe you're not so sure you want to be part of it, this is a great spot for you to go to ask some questions. Have some free food and have some conversation. We've got a cash bar there for you. And we hope to see you this Tuesday, October 5th, as we kick things off. But in the meantime, we are kicking off week two of our sermon series called What Made Jesus Mad? Pastor Tim is back with a great message for us, and we are glad to have you here as well. Enjoy the rest of the service.
4: Welcome everybody. Welcome to you at all of our campuses at New Lenox and Homer Glen. We welcome you online. We are so glad to have you here and happy 29th birthday baby to my baby. I, I know as I say that you're like uh, it's your wife's birthday and you're trying to be cute. No. Some of you are like if that's Your real wife's birthday, honey, pack up, we're getting out of here. What I'm saying is uh, my daughter, my youngest daughter is 29 today. So Becca, happy birthday. That's just weird to me, that just more reiteration that I'm really old. We're really glad to have you here. Happy birthday to you, uh, if it's your birthday as well. And let's talk about what makes Jesus mad. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, so this is the end. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem, and he sent messengers on ahead who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. Do you understand why Jesus was sometimes angry? The disciples wanted to call down fire from heaven on followers who, on other people who did not welcome them. Was he mad at his followers? It says he rebuked them. I don't know. His rebuke might have been. Now, come on, you guys, let's not blow people up today, but it doesn't seem like it, and it seems to me like it plays into our more full picture of what made Jesus mad. This whole scene cracks me up because James and John are getting a little cocky. I mean, at this point, they've been able to heal people and cast out some demons, but but calling down fire from heaven, I mean, it's not like they're X-Men all of a sudden. I, you know, they don't have the power to do that, and we don't know how mad Jesus was, but we do know the problem. And this is what I want to talk about today. It's too easy for the disciples to jump into, let's blow up the Samaritans. If you weren't here last week, we talked about the book. The book is available for you at all of our campuses. It's a book I wrote a couple of uh, a couple of years ago. I'm not making any money off of it. Everything's going to park for you. I just want you to understand what made Jesus mad. And last week we talked uh, about the sons of hell. We talked about what made Jesus mad was when they were trying to bring more rules into the process. They were trying to make it harder for you to get a grade in the class, and it. Just made everybody want to go away. It basically falls into this. What made Jesus mad denied access to the Father. I, I would say that blowing them up is denying access. Would you not agree with that? Okay. And here's the scripture. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. This is the main scripture. If I write Matthew 23, 13 on your book, you're going to understand. They're shutting the door. It's when religious people, okay, get in the way of God and a relationship with his kids. And again, blowing them up, you know, probably fits in that category. Maybe maybe it was just a misunderstanding. Sometimes Christians just misunderstand things. I love the story of the woman who went to the local Christian bookstore and Saw a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker, so she bought it, and she put it on her car. She wrote, I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection. I I may break into a southern accent every once in a while. It's not not on purpose, okay? I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection, just lost in the thought about the Lord and how good he is, and I didn't notice that the light had changed. It's a good thing that somebody else loves Jesus because if they hadn't honked, I never would have noticed. I found lots of people who loved Jesus Why? while I was sitting there the guy behind started honking like crazy and he leaned out of his window and screamed, for the love of God, go, go, go. What an exuberant cheerleader he was for Jesus. <laughs> Everyone started honking. I just leaned out my window and I started waving and smiling at all those loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. There must have been a man from Florida there because I heard him yelling something about a sunny beach. I saw another guy waving in a funny way with only his middle finger stuck up in the air. And when I asked my teenage grandson in the back seat what he meant, he said that it was probably a Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I've never met anyone from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him the good luck sign right back. My... My grandson burst out laughing while he was enjoying this religious experience so much. A couple of the people were so caught up in the joy of the moment, they got out of their cars and started walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I attended, but that's when I noticed that the light had changed. So I waved to my sisters and brothers grinning and drove on through the intersection. I noticed I was the only car who got through the intersection before the light changed. And I felt kind of sad that I had to leave them after all the love we'd shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out the window, and gave them the Hawaiian good luck sign one last time as I drove away. Praise the Lord for such wonderful folks, okay? Uh, Yeah. Uh, you never clap for the Bible, but a good joke about flipping people off. Thank you. That's my congregation. I love that, okay? This might have been a misunderstanding, but I doubt it. I doubt it. There was, there was always an issue with the Samaritans, and here's where we're at with this today. Samaria was a region that the Jews, uh, they avoided it because the Samaritans were people who were on the other side of the tracks, they, were, they had a religious system that was a form of Judaism, but they had pulled away and done some of their own rules and had their own place of worship. So the truth is the disciples did not want to be in Samaria, even with Jesus. They were prejudiced against a group of people that they didn't understand, but Jesus still loved them. In another episode with the Samaritans, and I'm just going to tell you right now that basically my whole sermon is just going to set up at the end, we're going to watch this scene from The Chosen, and if I haven't convinced you to watch The Chosen, um, then that's going to do it for you, and I just want to set it up. This is another scene where Jesus is in Samaria with the woman we call the woman at the well. Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to, hang on to that, go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime, okay? Um, First of all, like I said, hang on to this. Had to go through Samaria, okay? had to go through Samaria, okay, that's not necessarily true. It's an interesting statement because most Jewish people, as I said, did not go through Samaria. As a matter of fact, here's a route that Jesus was taking, and if he was going this way, the normal way to go, if you were just going to walk the path, would be there, but most Jews would actually go all the way around to get up to Galilee because they didn't want to go through Samaria. It would be like, Somebody from Wisconsin, you know, avoiding Illinois, going through Indiana to get to St. Louis. Okay, you with me? I, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's how much they didn't like each other. It was, it was all about their disdain for these people who were descendants of the Israelites, who, who went back to Abraham as their father and worshipped in much of the same way, but did a few things that were different and wrong, and they didn't like them. And yet Jesus ignored the common prejudice of his day and headed straight through. Had to go through Samaria. It was not about what he needed to do on the route. He wasn't in a hurry. It was because he wanted to reach the people that were farther away. He wanted to give access to the Father to those who were farther away. And he didn't want any of us to block the way for those who are far away. And I bring this up because one of the ways the church has blocked the access to the kingdom of heaven is with our prejudice. Even if we don't call it that, we still tend to be more comfortable with people who look and act like us. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sums it up a little bit later when he says this. He says, God our Savior wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Everyone, he wants everyone good news of great joy that will be to all the people. That's what the angel said. But do you really believe that? Part view Do you really believe that? Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. Okay, this, this would have, Jesus wouldn't have had a way to dr- draw the water out of the well. Okay, so don't interpret his request through your own filter. This is not rude. This is not like, hey, babe, can you get me a drink? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching the bears here and I don't want to get up. Can you grab, a, grab me a beer? This is not like that, okay? This was Jesus' way of sitting at the table in the break room at the office and asking, hey, could you pass me the salt? The point is that he sat down with her in the first place. It was unheard of in that day. And we can tell from her reaction because her reaction was basically, I can't believe that you would sit here with me. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. And the woman was surprised for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. The Bible just wants to make sure you get that. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She was shocked to realize that someone who claimed to follow a different interpretation of God would put aside his prejudices And have a conversation with her. Can I say that again? Because it's really important. She was shocked to realize that someone who claimed to follow a different interpretation of God would put aside his prejudices and have a conversation with her. Normally, a Jew would not talk to a Samaritan. We've already established that. Add to that fact that a rabbi would not talk to a woman in public. It was gossip worthy. And this was not just any woman, this was a woman likely with a bad reputation. And the reason that she, the only reason that she would have been at the well at noon is probably because she didn't want to be around anybody else. Now, we may be making more of this than we should, but, but, but this is basically like someone going to the grocery store in the middle of the night so they don't see anybody that they know because they don't want to be around people. Do you understand that? It was, the, it was the custom of the day, we do know, that the women would go together to the well, either in the morning or in the cool of the evening when it was cooler. And they would go together because if you're going to go draw water, you might as well hang out with some other people while you're there. You can hang out with your girlfriends and catch up on some current events and find out what's going on. But she was there in midday. She was not there at happy hour, okay? Now, again, I don't want to make too many assumptions. I, One more story, a lady who got a new job in an elementary school as a counselor. She was really eager to help all the lonely children. And and one day during recess, she noticed this this little girl who was kind of standing on the playing field off by herself while the kids were enjoying soccer. And the uh, counselor approached the little girl and, uh, you know, asked if she was all right. And the girl said, yeah, she was fine. A little while later, she saw the girl still in that same spot all by herself. So she went back up again. She said, would you like to have a friend? And the girl hesitated and said, oh, okay, kind of looking suspiciously at this woman and feeling like she was making progress. The counselor said, why are you standing here all alone? The little girl said, because I'm the goalie. <laughs> Maybe she had other reasons. We don't always want to assume, Okay. But as you read on, you will see my theory. Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. It becomes, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And what Jesus does next needs to be set up because if you read this wrong, you will think that Jesus is calling her out like some kind of a street preacher, but that's not what happened. Listen, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, I know, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And she said, sir, you must be a prophet. What you need to understand here is that I believe Jesus was actually reaching out to her, not judging her, okay? Jesus did not say, well, you can't have the living water, you hussy. I I don't know if that's the correct way to use the word hussy. It was just back in my Oklahoma memory banks, and I think that's kind of right, but I'm not really sure. What Jesus is doing is he's addressing the elephant in the room, He's saying, look, I know you, and I know you're here in the middle of the day. And we can tell that she's not upset because she said, yeah, you're right. She said, you're right, not what business is it of yours? And this is so important for us as followers of Jesus when we're interacting with people, especially those from Samaria, those from places that we don't necessarily uh, understand, from the other side of the tracks, meaning those from backgrounds and cultures that we don't fully understand. Which for me would be anything other than a white male who grew up in Oklahoma in the 60s and 70s. As an old guy from Oklahoma, the longer I live, the more I realize that I have zero idea on what it's like to really be in a situation like this woman, to really be oppressed. I haven't lived a life of charm. I've got my own stories. It's just that I've always had opportunities. And I think that it's important to admit that fact if I'm ever going to be Jesus to the people around me. I think that it's important for me to admit at least to myself and maybe to everybody else that I don't know where they live and I don't know what it was like to be them. And the problem with my lens is that as I've read about the woman at the well, I always read this story. Some of you have heard me say this before. I've always read this story through the lens of what I would have interpreted this situation as an old white guy who grew up in Oklahoma in the 60s and 70s. you see what I'm saying? I always assumed this woman was just some kind of Hollywood personality who couldn't stay married to one guy and that Jesus was setting the record straight. With someone who needed a better handle on commitment which would be likely a way to interpret that if she lived in 21st century chicago which she certainly does not and unfortunately today there are still places that a woman is is not valued and has no rights but in jesus day it was unanimous everywhere a woman had zero rights A woman in in Samaria or Jerusalem or Judea could not sue for divorce. She could not file for divorce. And she can't get a job. And there is no system of welfare. So she literally had to have an arrangement, an arrangement with a man to survive. And that helps you to understand this in a very different way, doesn't it? This is exactly why the early church specialized in doing ministry to widows and orphans. And exactly why we do the same thing today. Except it's a lot easier on a widow or an orphan in today's world than it was back then. Because there was nobody else to help them. Either way, whatever the situation is, what I know is that this is a woman who has suffered deep pain. And doesn't that change this whole discussion for you? I mean, sure, maybe she was just seriously unfaithful. Maybe she was easy like Sunday morning. I don't know. Maybe she was just a bad man picker. I don't know. I just want you to be open to the fact that you and I probably don't live where she lives. I'll say it this way, an admitted lack of understanding ought to be the basis of all of our interactions. Admit that I don't know where you live. I can walk a mile in your moccasins maybe, but it's still not going to help me to understand where you live and how you've lived. Jesus didn't preach to her. He acknowledged her situation. He started where she was, okay? Jesus is saying, look, I understand where you are, and it doesn't matter. I want to offer you friendship. I want to offer you living water. I know that you're a woman, and I shouldn't even be talking to you that way. I know that you're a Samaritan. I know that your past and current living arrangements may make you want to avoid people in general and come to the well to get your water at the hottest part of the day so that nobody sees you. I get all of that, but I am not like that. And God is not like that. What Jesus is saying is your situation is not a problem for me. And I want to preach that hard because we're all in a situation, aren't we? The problem is that our situation and somebody else's situation makes it easy for us to think that their situation makes them a worse person than my situation. So what we need to figure out right up front is that God does not care about our situation. Jesus led with love, and he actually knew her backstory. Most of the time, we don't, I don't lead, lead with love enough and I don't know the backstory. When we were utterly helpless, the Bible says, Christ died for us. When we were utterly helpless, Christ died for us. He came at just the right time and he died for us. That's our situation, okay? That's it, our situation. That's all you need to know. So her natural reaction was to test his sincerity. And I, I sure wish we could figure this out, you guys. She brought up their religious differences. And why do people do that? Why is it that when they find out that you might actually care about them and want to help them and that you're a Christian, why do they bring up your dif- the differences? Why, why do they do that? Why do they, like, well, what are you, What about this and what about that and, you know, politics and, you know, vaccines and whatever, you know, what are you thinking about all these things? Why do they do that? Because it's difficult for people to believe that living water is really available. And there's almost always a wall to break through when it comes to Jesus. Again, this is what made Jesus mad, was when we put up walls. But unfortunately, people still put up walls, and there's always times when we have to break through them. And I can't tell you how many times I've messed this up. She says, sir... I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now watch Jesus. Watch what Jesus does here. He minimizes the difference, and and, and he helps her to see hope instead of division. Jesus says, yeah, the time is coming. Indeed, is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. This is a beautiful response. Jesus could have jumped on the argument and told her what he did actually believe about Jerusalem, that it really was the correct place to worship. That's why the temple was there. From the Jewish perspective, she was wrong as a Samaritan to think that she could worship on a different place. According to rabbinic literature, in order to convert from being a Samaritan to Judaism, you had to renounce the fact that there was any place but Jerusalem to worship. That's literally what the law said. So what does Jesus do? Jesus decided not to debate the differences, but to focus on the future. As a matter of fact, if this is not already loving and accepting enough for you, proof that Jesus was really here to open the door to the kingdom of God for everyone, in verse 26, again, he told her, I am the Messiah. you got to understand that up to this point, Jesus has not, other than the disciples, he has not disclosed to anyone else the full version of his identity. To the world, Jesus is a great teacher. And some people were wondering if he was the Messiah, but he never claimed it. He never threw the M word around because he knew that would start a a revolution and he didn't want that. But he told his secret to a Samaritan woman who had five ex-husbands and he welcomed her into a relationship with him and the father. And she was the first one outside the disciples that ever got to hear this. Now, Let's go back to the disciples wanting to blow up Samaritans. They didn't do this here, but but watch the reaction. Just then the disciples came back. They'd all gone to get lunch. They were shocked to find him, shocked to find him talking to the woman. (laughs) But, But they've gotten smart enough that none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her why are you talking to her? Interpret that, right? You see what that is? They're like, I don't know why you're talking to that woman, Jesus. You know why she's here. She's a Samaritan woman. She's in the middle of the day. She's probably not the kind of woman you ought to be talking to. But at this point, I'm smart enough not to open my mouth. But but yet, when the gospel writer John decided to write it down, he admitted what they were thinking in their minds because they had prejudice. They were shocked to see Jesus talking to her. Jesus, don't you realize who this was? I mean, Jesus, if we're not uncomfortable enough being in Samaria in the first place, now you're here with her? I've always wondered why all of the disciples needed to go to town to buy food. It sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? You know, how many disciples does it take to carry lunch? I mean, why did they all have to go? My theory, can't prove it, my theory is that Jesus sent them away. Hey, why don't you guys go get food? Well, can I stay here? No, all of you. Because Jesus knew that this situation was getting ready to happen. And he knew that having the disciples around was going to make it harder for her. Please hear this. From their shock, it's obvious that they would have been uncomfortable, which would have created a barrier for her. And, and Jesus didn't want any more barriers. For this woman, As a matter of fact, the barriers make Jesus mad. And my theory is backed up by the fact that as soon as the disciples show up, she leaves. Like she could read their reaction. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. Not blowing up this place. Because Jesus broke through. When people really meet Jesus, and you got to hear this, and his followers quit getting in the way, outsiders will come streaming in to meet him. W- what I'm saying is that if you've got people in your life that you want to reach, you, you might have to like send your Christian friends and relatives out to get lunch so that you can have a heart-to-heart conversation. If they're the kind of people that are always going to be judging and looking down wanting to blow up everybody that doesn't believe in them. You may have to get away from them and have a one-on-one conversation because when people really meet Jesus and the followers quit getting in the way, outsiders will stream in to meet him. This was the woman who chose to go to the well at a time when no one else wanted to, seemingly to avoid people. She doesn't understand the correct way to worship God. She was either bad at relationships or had been kicked to the curb over and over again. She's living with a man she's not married to, and she was the first missionary to the people of Samaria. Do you understand how great that is? So now that you got the background, I'll just let you watch it. Again, this is from The Chosen.
5: <sighs> Would you give me a drink?
6: That's bad, huh? What? You, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan? And a woman? You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here?
5: Nor are you. Why haven't you come with others? And why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning?
6: Yeah. Uh, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me.
5: Why won't they be seen with you?
6: Long story.
5: I'd I'd still like a drink of water if, if you can spare it.
6: Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel?
5: Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't.
6: Yeah? And what do you say?
5: I say, if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water.
6: Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. (laughs) Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water? hmm?
5: That's not what I said.
6: Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his?
5: I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again.
6: Wouldn't that be nice?
5: The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband, then come back. I will show you both.
6: I don't have a husband.
5: You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband.
6: (laughs) I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned.
5: I'm not here to condemn you.
6: I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship.
5: They say that because the temple is there. Yeah.
6: Exactly where we're not allowed.
5: I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father
6: so where am i supposed to go when i need god i've never received anything from god but i couldn't thank him even if i did
5: anywhere god is spirit and the time is coming and is now here that it won't matter where you worship but only that you do it in spirit and truth heart and mind that that is the kind of worshiper He's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you?
6: Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone.
5: You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am He. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity, who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage, and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy.
6: Why are you doing this?
5: I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. (laughs) Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day?
6: I am rejected by others.
5: I know. But not by the Messiah.
6: And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone.
5: I was counting on
6: it. Spirit and truth?
5: Spirit and truth?
6: It won't be all about mountains or temples.
5: Soon, just the heart.
6: <laughs> you promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs>
1: you forgot your um
3: you know i think there's times we can hear about this guy named jesus and just the idea of that kind of love somebody to come for us can feel a little too good to be true and there was a week that i was finishing up alpha and i actually stopped talked to the bartender there, and she was listening on at some of our conversation, and she's like, all right, Kevin, I gotta be honest, I like what you guys are doing here, but if I showed up at your church, there's a good chance the ceiling would cave in. And I'll be honest, I've heard, have had that conversation with a bunch of you that are sitting here right now, and thankfully, it seems like the ceiling is still standing, so that's good. But I think that there's a lot of us who can think just coming before Jesus, I mean, is there any way that a God so loving could really love us if we laid it out before him? And if there's anything that this story shows us and reminds us, it's that there's nothing he doesn't already know. And he came not just for the woman at the well, but for each one of us. And communion gives us a chance to remember that, to recognize that, and to experience that love when we hold in our hands the body and the blood that made that sacrifice possible found a living water that can change not only this moment, but the rest of our lives as we even leave here today. So on your way in, hopefully you grab one of our communion packets. On top, there's a very thin layer for the wafer, and beneath that is a layer for the juice. In a couple moments, I'm going to come out and we're going to take communion together. But as we do that, I want to invite you just to take some time and reflect. Jesus already knows everything there is to know about you, about us. But for us to have a moment just to lay it all out before Tell them where we're at and allow them to sit in it with us so that we can experience that fountain of living water and experience the grace and the love that he's promised us and that he has for us right here, right now. Let's take a moment together. before him, he doesn't just hear it and tolerate it. He died for it. And that sacrifice allows that eternal life with him to be possible. So let's eat the body. Broken for you, take and eat. And his blood, shed for you, take and drink. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much. And thank you for meeting us right where we're at. God, even if that well for us feels kind of dry right now, we know that you come and meet us to give us that living water. And we ask for that to happen for each one of us right now. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, on your way out today, Pastor Tim's going to be out signing books in the lobby if you'd like to stop out there. But as you do that, I'll invite you to stand. And as you stand, may the Lord God bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace.
1: Amen.